Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to episode 245 of Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. We are recording this on Sunday evening. You're not hearing this until at least Monday or Tuesday, but alas, it is time to preview the three game wild card round. I'm not sure what, what, what we're even talking about anymore. Playoff series between the Braves and the Cincinnati Reds. We are still recording. If you missed the last show, go back and listen to it, wrapping up the entire season. But I'm still here and joined by both Scott Coleman and Eric Cole. Hello, gentlemen. I am ready to talk about postseason baseball and trying to pretend as though the Braves have had success in many of our listeners' lifetimes. (laughs) We're going to exercise some demons. I keep telling myself that. I hope to speak it into existence. Uh, If there is any team in baseball due for some favorable bounces and, and, you know, lucky calls uh, it's the atlanta Braves. so let's exercise some demons over the next month that would be nice uh we'll get it out of the way right now and then we won't we won't come back to it unless we have to the braves did not want to play off series in 2001 we were alerted to that a couple of weeks or months ago when i brought up, brought up on the podcast there were listeners that were not alive when that happened it's been 19 years it's time to win one hopefully it's not um just that first three game series but the braves have a chance to uh write some write some wrongs in the next few days If you're listening to this, you will probably know already the series begins on Wednesday between the Braves and the Reds. The Braves are the favorite in the series. They're the two seed. They'll be playing at home. That's all good stuff. Um, But first, I want to dig into the roster. Now, there are some locks, obviously, on this roster, but, you know, no off days. We talked about this a little bit last week on the podcast, but no off days in the series. It's three games in a row. Um, The Braves had to set their 40-man playoff pool roster already. But it's not public information. They didn't have to announce it, and they didn't. So we're kind of guessing, but we're probably educated guessing. Um, it's a 28-man roster for the playoffs, which is obviously deeper than usual because of COVID and the fallout there. Um, it's due on Wednesday morning, so we can't, we couldn't just wait for the roster to come out because it doesn't come out till Wednesday, potentially. So there's no maximum on pitchers. It's kind of a free-for-all. 28's pretty big for a roster. Um, I want to go through here to start things off sort of the locks but before we get into that i guess broadly i'll start with scott um do you have any roster thoughts like strategy thoughts do you think like how many pitchers do you need it's a three game series obviously later on especially in the nlds and the nlcs when there's no off days you might want to carry even more pitchers but have you thought about like how many pitchers you would carry uh in, in this kind of it's all very strange with 28 players and only a three game series but have you thought about that balance at all I would lean more towards pitchers just because you're playing three games in a row. You might not be able to use a guy depending on how the games go. There's just no way of knowing, right? And because the DH is in play, 
you're going to have, I guess, an occasional opportunity where you might want to pinch hit, but there's no obvious candidates here uh, on the roster, I guess. Um, maybe Nick Markakis, uh, maybe if they were to bring in a lefty to face him, you might want to bring in a right-handed bench bat if you have anybody. But again, um, there's really just because of that rule, this is not going to be your traditional playoff, or at least what we're used to on the National League side, where you need a little bit more of a bench. Uh, for me, I would I would lean heavier towards relief pitchers, um, play the matchups, and, and go that way. Yeah, I tend to agree. The one thing that I think about a little bit is that the rotation that you're going against with the Reds uh, is are, you're going to be seeing righties, and you worry a little bit about the some of the left-handed bats. I mean, obviously Freddie Freeman's like exactly the kind of guy that you'd want in this situation, but. Then you have Ozzy, which is going to be pushed to a side of the plate where he's not quite as good at plate. And then you're having to hope that Nick Martakis produces again. And we were hoping that he was going to do it again, that against the righties against the Cardinals last last year. And that didn't really work out. So I, you wonder maybe if that is kind of guiding some of the decision a little bit with, you know, maybe they're going to be using Pablo Sandoval. Uh, maybe it guides the decision a little bit about what to do with Johan Camargo as well. But I tend to agree with Scott is that, you know, it's probably going to be better especially if there's any questions with Chris Martin that you kind of want to have a deep bullpen that if you can, if, if things start to go sideways, you know, rather than watching some of the meltdowns that we got to watch, you know, this season where you're just like, well, that guy's just going to give up five runs and that's just the way it is that you just, you have more bullpen options that you can yank a guy who gets in trouble and then try someone else. Uh, that just seems like the better plan, but I do kind of understand the idea of at least trying to plan ahead considering what kind of the quality of pitchers that you're seeing out of the out of the Reds during the series, I mean Bauer and Castillo and Gray are legitimately very good. So maybe you want to have some options to deal with that and maybe try to limit the exposure of some of your more vulnerable righty hitters. But overall, I mean that seems like the general idea. It's like maybe someone carrying around somewhere around 15 pitchers, something like that. It's kind of where my head is. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. I think you know with with 28, it's just so many players, but you know. At least fourteen would be where I was. I think I probably te- I I probably carry more than that, maybe up to sixteen maximum. I I probably go with fifteen if you maybe guess. That doesn't matter necessarily all that much, and you might have a pitcher that just never pitches, and that's okay. Um, but I don't know with with the DH. This is something I've we've been struggling about all year. We've been talking about this all year long. We're all built as National League observers, but this time around, you just don't need that many bench players. The Braves have been doing this smartly for a while. They don't. You just don't need them. You're not pinch hitting very often. Because why would you without a pitcher spot? There's all kinds of things that are normally in play that are not in play this time around. And as a result of that, yeah, you might you might not want to go to Grant Dayton a whole lot in the playoffs. But honestly, it's helpful to have Grant Dayton around. Um, just have an extra, and that's not just Grant Dayton, that's just the name I picked out of a hat. But it's just probably better to have an extra pitcher than it is a guy who legitimately may not play for you ever as a position player, just for the depth and all of that. So we're all on the same page there. With that said, I compiled a list. Now, this is my list, and these guys can correct me if they disagree with me, of some locks on the roster, barring injury. And I want to know if you guys disagree with, with me or don't. Um, there are some very, very obvious ones. So we'll, we'll start with, with the position players first. I think, obviously, both catchers, Darno and Flowers, are locks. That's two. Freddie Freeman is three. Ozzie Albies is four. Dansby Swanson is five. Austin Riley, if he is healthy, is six. Marcelo Zuna is 7, Ronald Acuna is 8, Adam Duvall is 9. Those are the absolute and utter locks, obviously. Now, I included three more guys on this list, 
and it might even be four with, with Sandoval now. I'm not really sure how, how this goes. And they are Nick Markakis, Ender Inciarte, realistically, uh, Adeni Hitcheria. Th- those are the three guys that I had on my lock list. And you might even add Sandoval based on what we've been hearing slash seeing with him playing on Sunday. So between 12 and 13 locks or close to locks, there's nine like absolute uber locks. And I can't imagine a scenario in which they would not carry Markakis and Ender in this scenario, but uh, I'll go to Eric first. Anything that you want to dis- disagree with me on here or point out at the end of that list? Uh, I don't, I, that sounds about right. I, I don't think Ender and CRT deserves a playoff spot personally. I think he's been, that's why, that's why I said, I re- think... that's why I said realistically, Eric, Re- realistically, yeah, no, I mean, but they're I, not going to leave no, him off. That, that, no, at this, we would have the move to bring in Christian Pache would have already happened if, they were planning on not putting in Ender and Ciarte because Pache would pr- like provide that same role, but actually do it better. But instead that they've, they've stuck their guns and keeping Ender on the roster and they're not going to make that change now. Um, the only I, I agree I by the way, is- and go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I mean, I, I agree. I, I'm glad you brought it up because we won't do 20 minutes on this, but the fact that Christian Pache got one start this year and they didn't use any of this time to get him ready to play when he clearly would be, you know, long-term development out, out the window. Wouldn't he very clearly be a better like specialist playoff option when you have, when you have a deep bench as someone who's very fast and can play defense? Like this is not difficult, but alas, here we are. Yes. Yeah. And for like, no one has every time that Ender and Ciarte is put in the lineup, he's batting ninth. Everyone treats him like a free out because he is a free out. <laughs> He's not as good defensively. You don't I mean like that. You'd even want to pinch. Like if you have a terrible right-handed reliever, you still would not want to pinch hit Ender and Ciarte in that situation. You'd rather go to one of your catchers or another bat that's not playing that day. It blows my mind that they've handled it this way. But I mean, look, there's money involved. There's, you know, there's like, you know, hurt feelings and stuff like that. And all managing a clubhouse. I, I understand all those things. This team would be better if Christian Pache was on it, especially in the playoffs, because then you could like, have pinch rudder type situations where, you know, you'd probably be happier having him on the base paths rather than Ender who runs, who treats himself like he's fast, but he's not actually fast. Uh, you, if you need to make a defensive substitution, if someone does get hurt, you feel a little bit better about putting Pache out there and thinking something good might happen versus having Ender and Ciarte, which feels more like a white flag. These are, th- these are things that I don't necessarily enjoy about the, the roster composition, but I know that Ender is going to be there. The one question I have a little bit is Echeverria, because I wonder if, like, you know, that positional versatility that he has, you know, if he's not really playing defense really well, then maybe you go to a more familiar face like Camargo if he's looked good at the alternate site, um, kind of playing that same role, or God forbid, Charlie Culberson, I guess. Uh, Lord knows we're going to get those tweets, is, you know, saying that Culberson deserves a spot over Echeverria, considering, you know, Echeverria's had, like, two bad games. But I, I think that you're probably right that they're going to stick with Echeverria if just to kind of safeguard against a Dansby injury, yeah, he's going to, like, at least play shortstop where we have seen both Camargo and, you know, Culberson just not being able to play that position at all. So I, I, I get this composition, although there are a couple of slots that I'm less than happy about. Yeah. No, I, I think I'm with you. And, and I think, uh, assuming all goes well and there's no injuries, honestly, I would be surprised if Hetch or Ender ever even see game time action. D- um, d- disagree on Ender. I, I, th- I think they're going to play Ender. I really do. Oh, God. Oh, I mean, why? Not- like in the eighth inning, I mean, if they're up by four in the eighth inning, I guess I could go for it. But I, I mean, I don't think there's any way he starts. Do you? I, I mean, I, I hope not. But I no, mean, I don't think so either. You're, you're facing three right-handed starters. That's all I'll say. You're facing three right-handed starters, 
Uh, and Brian Snicker likes Ender Inciarte in a way that uh, cannot be overstated. And also, I- I'm I'm kind of kidding, but at the same time, I do think that you could see him not even not even with a four run lead. I think you could see him with a late lead as a defensive sub. Now, whether that's a good idea or not is different because he's not been a very good defender this year overall. But uh, I'm kind of kidding. But honestly, it would surprise me less than it would surprise you guys. To see him, to see him say, in the lineup, batting ninth on in, in game one, it, it would not like. I would hate it, but I, I think I would not be as surprised as you guys seem to be. To see, to see, to be honest, I, I don't, I don't see that happening. That means one of two things: either Ronnie is still hurt, in which case we got bigger problems, and or two, it means that Markakis. There's something, and this might actually just be the case. Markakis, there might be something wrong with him. Uh, in well, terms here's of, like, the thing. Here's a, so, yeah, yeah. Let, let's do this now. I mean, real quickly, Markakis was very, 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 very bad for about a month now. Now, I know he had two hits on Sunday. That's good. Um, he showed something on Sunday. But before that, I think his WRC Plus was like nine for the month of September. Like, he looked yep. – he had worse He had worse numbers than Ender in September, which is hard to accomplish. And I think we all think that he's a much better hitter than Ender in the grand scheme of things. But he was very bad in September. And I, I, I'm hoping that with some rest, he looked better on Sunday. He gets two more days off. He's a guy who usually looks better after rest. He's an older player. I would certainly play Marquecas over in, over Ender, but you know, to your point, Marquecas is not a lock anymore. I know he was the guy that everybody infatuates over in the first month when he rolls out of bed and hits 280, but then he just stopped hitting, and no one paid attention to that other than some of us did. But like the national, you know, the national folks, the the beat guys didn't really talk about the fact that Marquecas was terrible for a month, but he was. So it's worth noting again. I I, I would expect it to be Acuna in center with um, Duval Marquecas. That's what I would do. That's what I expect to happen. I'm just saying there is a non-zero chance that Ender starts in center field. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it, but man, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fatalist. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a fatalist. I think Nick Marquecas sure. would have to lose. Yeah, I think Marquecas would like have to lose an arm before Stent wouldn't play him in a playoff game. Oh, I agree. I, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying over Duval, honestly, which is kind of hilarious because Duval's like so much better than... Both of them. Go ahead and pencil me in for an emergency podcast if they start Ender and Ciarte in a playoff game over Adam Duvall, who's been like one of the better hitters in the National League in September. You just go ahead and pencil that in. I'll record it myself if I have to. It's <laughs> not gonna. It's not. It's not gonna happen. I'm just. I'm just. Just laying the groundwork. I just. Uh, and I, I mean, to your to your point, if if they they just love Ender, it, it, it's it's more about him playing late than it is starting. Honestly, I'm I'm kind of kidding about him starting. It would it would surprise me. It wouldn't. I would I wouldn't fall over. I just think that they have a higher opinion of his defense than we all do. That's all I'll say about that. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. again, having him as a backup option is not like a crazy notion. No, you. I mean, you carry him. Like you you carry him at this point. At this point, you have to carry him because you have not built up Pache to the point where you can put him in there now. Like that's that's their fault. That's that's organizational malpractice, and I believe that in my heart. Like the fact that he got one start and didn't play really at all is insanity and he's so much better suited for a bench specialist role than like everyone else they have is, but they didn't, they didn't do it. And maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe they'll, maybe they've been getting him ready this whole time and they'll surprise us. And with this deep bench, they'll throw him on there. But uh, I'd I'd be surprised by all of that. Um, I don't know. So if we assume they carry Marquegas and Ender, um, I'm going to assume they carry Hatch. That's 12. They're going to carry, I think they're going to carry at least 13. So it's going to be Sandoval or Camargo Maybe the third. I mean, we, oh, this is one thing I want to ask you. What are your thoughts on a third catcher? 
So especially if they had any any inkling to maybe use Darno as a DH and stick Ozuna in an outfield spot, which would have been a bigger thing if they were playing a team that had left-handed starting pitchers, which they don't with the Reds, um, at least for me. I was ready to talk about that more until it was the Reds who don't have right I do have don't have a lefty starting pitcher, but that is the best lineup is to DH Darno, play Flowers and put Ozuna in a corner. I'm just not sure they're going to do that, but regardless, would you consider a third catcher? You know, Snit, Snit it comes from that Bobby Tree, and they don't like to pinch hit catchers. Granted, it's the it's the American League style of baseball now, but do you think about that at all? Um, me personally, with with the twenty eight man roster, I guess so. I don't see anybody else who immediately makes more sense. It's like absolutely, if they don't carry so and so instead of presumably Alex Jackson. It's like it's Camargo. It's it's basically Camargo, Sandoval, and a third yeah. catcher for maybe two spots out of those three. We'll get okay. We'll we'll throw Hetch in there too. Hetch, Camargo, Sandoval, and a third catcher. You get yeah. at least two of those four, and probably three of those four. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any. I would be really of all those names. I think Camargo is. I, I think Johan has like a two percent chance of making the roster, unless unless does, Riley. They don't well. think. Unless Riley's just not healthy and they physically need someone who can play third, I think Camargo is way below. I like I would bet ninety nine out of a hundred dollars on a third catcher being carried over Camargo. Just personally, they they've certainly treated Camargo like faulty, basically, like he's just not around. And I'm yeah. not sure what happened there. Yeah, they just but, gave up yeah, on him entirely. Yeah, he's dead to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It doesn't seem. And maybe we're, maybe we're wrong, but it, it feels like the way it's been talked about or not talked about, the way that he just kind of disappeared, it does not seem like Camargo is an option. I have him on this list because he was on the team for quite a long time this year, and he's been a, a big part of the organization. But I tend yeah. to think uh, that Scott's on the right side with that, of that one. Um, Eric, do you would you carry a third catcher? Like, I mean, we'd all we'd all carry Pache, I think, if we had a choice. But considering we don't have the choice, uh, third catcher Camargo, like, what would you do with those two or three spots? I mean, you, it's not it's not a crazy notion to carry a third catcher. I just don't necessarily like having to rely on Alex Jackson in any sort of situation in terms of offensively. I'd almost rather carry William Contreras if they're going to do that. But I understand the rationale for it, considering it would require a confluence of events involving having to move Ozuna to the outfield. And if you feel like you're going to have to do that multiple times uh, against these righty starters, then it requires like an injury or two probably. Um, then maybe you do it, but beyond that, it's just, you know, just kind of carry the best, the, the, the next best bat is who you probably carry in this situation, which it seems more likely to be like a Sandoval type thing. But, you know, in terms of third culture, I get the rationale for it. Um, not something that necessarily moves the needle a lot for me, uh, especially when you kind of factor in the kind of lineups that the Braves are expecting to see or, or the rotation they're, they're going to be seeing. And I think that if you're having to make to play those types of games in your lineup, then you're probably going to have bigger problems because for the Braves to really make a run in the playoffs, like their offense is going to have to be healthy and clicking on all cylinders because that's what's going to carry them. So if you're kind of having to like, you know, rely on like third catchers and having to move things around and things like that, then you might have some other problems going on. I totally agree with that. It's a good place to pause for a second for a word from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG pod wherever you get your podcasts. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, guys, we're back, and uh, keeping on the position player slash lineup slash bench construction, let's talk about the Reds for a second. Uh, the Reds were the team that scared me the most, I'll speak for myself, because of the three starting pitches that they have. It's, it's a short series. They unequivocally have a better rotation than the Braves do right now. That's an advantage that the Reds have. Um, I will say this, they're all right-handed. It's Bauer, it's Gray, it's Castillo. Um, they were essentially the best rotation in baseball this year, or at least close to it. But they're all right-handed, so that's at least easy for planning, from a planning standpoint. The Braves were actually better this year, stunningly, against right-handed pitching than left-handed pitching, which surprised me when I looked it up, but it's true. Um, despite, all, despite the fact they have all these right-hand dominant bats, they're just so good that you know guys like Ronnie and Ozuna did not discriminate this year. They just smashed everyone, which is helpful. Um, so we'll stop there for a second. Like, Obviously, it's a little bit scary for the lineup to face this kind of starting pitching. If you get beyond them... It's not as scary by any means, but uh, Eric, do do you have any like lineup thoughts against them? Do you just kind of play the guys who brought you? Uh, as I mentioned before, like do you consider maybe maybe DHing Darno and putting Ozuna in a corner at some point? Like, what kind of thoughts have you had other than just fear about this rotation and what you're seeing? I mean, it's definitely a little bit of fear. I don't think you'd get too cute. I don't think the idea of Marcelo Ozuna having to man a defensive position in a playoff game is something that I, cause I know for certain what happens in that game, given Atlanta sports luck is that there's going to be a ball that has to be fielded and he won't get to it. And that would be really frustrating. Um, I, I think that we're kind of in a situation again, where we just, the guys who are supposed to mash against right-handers just have to produce. And that means Marcakis is going to have to do something. It means that Ozzy from the left side is going to have to be, have to be productive and it means that Freddie Freeman, who was hurt, you know, in during the Cardinal series, is going to have to like really kind of carry the weight and give us some long at bats. Have to, you know, kind of get some of these guys their pitch counts up because you can't have. If Trevor Bauer gets through the first three innings on 32 pitches, the Braves probably aren't going to win that baseball game. And I don't care if Max Fried's on the mound or not, because you know it's just a situation where you kind of have to get these guys out of here. You can't. You have to get to that bull, their bullpen, which is pretty middling. Um, and you have to be able to put up some runs, and that means I think you have to like, get these guys off their games a bit and not just let them do their four or five pitch sequence and then get the outs that they were looking for. Um, and there's, you know, that, that's easier said than done, obviously. And but fortunately, you have some guys in our lineup. You know, Acuna is really good at this. Uh, Dansby can be really good at this. Is that really prolonging at bats? And you know, instead of those three or four pitch at bats, you also can get you can get those six, seven, eight pitch at bats, and you know, just your approach has to be if you can't do anything with the pitch, you have to at least, you know, put foul it back and at least see another one uh, because this is not a lineup that should scare anyone, particularly on the road. 
Uh, I looked it up earlier, and their road WRC plus is 81, which is shockingly bad um, for an entire uh, entire roster uh, for the Reds. So you, do, this is an offense that even with the types of rotation they should be going against, if they they should be able to put up enough runs to keep up with this this lineup. Yeah. Uh, now that I've said it out loud, you know we know it's going to happen, but it's <laughs> a situation where I, I think that you know they just need to do their jobs and not necessarily get too cute with lineup construction. I will say, as good as, and don't get me wrong, Bauer, Gray, Castillo is really, really good. And only the Braves, as the number two seed in a team that was pretty comfortably number two in the league all year, could draw three good pitchers like this in a, in a short yep. series, right? Only the Braves. But um, a couple of people have pointed out that uh, Trevor Bauer in particular has faced some really, really bad lineups all year. You think about the NL Central, there's really... Very few good, just looking uh, here at, at fan graphs as far as um, offensively. The Pirates were the worst team in baseball, a team WRC plus of 73. The Cubs, who, uh, according to ESPN, have the second best lineup in the National League, have a team WRC <laughs> plus of, <laughs> I had to get that in, 91. Um, the Tigers, who they faced, uh, I believe, seven times or 23rd. with the So my point is, Yes, they're very, very good, and these guys could absolutely keep the Braves to a the Braves lineup to a minimum. But they also faced about as bad of offensive competition. There's no lineup like the Braves in the NL Central. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say, or uh, the American League Central, with the exception of maybe the White Sox and Twins, who they only faced, I believe, one series each. Um, they are good. Don't get me wrong. I was I was intimidated at first, but uh, I would hope that if if uh, 50% of your games came against the Pi- the Pirates, Tigers, uh, the, the Cubs lineup, which was not good. The Brewers lineup was also in the bottom five. Um, I would hope that you would have pretty decent numbers, so that does give me some reason for optimism. Again, not going to be easy, but they were not facing very good competition. I, I will say this uh, about the approach. I, I agree, you know, it's a bad matchup in terms of the other teams that you could have been facing. The Braves are still a better team in the series. All the caveats aside, it's just not great to have to face those three pitchers. Um, I, I would personally, as we sort of wrap up the lineup portion of this, I actually would start Ozuna in a corner outfield spot in game two. To avoid having Darno catch three days in a row, um, I would actually do exactly that. I would that's, start Darno at catcher in game one. I would, in game two, start Flowers at catcher, put Ozuna in left, pray, and have Darno DH. Because I, yeah. I truly think the, the gap between it, – it'd be, it'd be different. I would say it, it'd be different if Marcakis was Marcakis and the guy that he was a month ago. If we knew that guy was there, the gap isn't big enough to justify it. But with the uncertainty with him, with the uncertainty with Ender or the certainty that he's bad, um, the gap between Ozuna or getting Darno back in the lineup or even Flowers at the plate against Marcakis or uh, – and there is, is a pretty big gap. Like, I, I just wouldn't... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe maybe, the, maybe they, don't, they, they won't worry about Darno catching three days in a row, but it's just something to consider. Um, and Flowers is, you know, a good backup catcher. He's a good player. So I would at least consider it in game two. I, I wouldn't start the series with it. So to answer my own question, I would not come out and just say, guns a-blazing, we're playing Mar- Marcel and left. I wouldn't do that, but I would I would think about it in game two, especially if you lost game one. I would, I would kind of go all in if you had to do that. <sighs> With that, with that out of the way, um, 
let's talk about pitching for a second or more than a second, because this is obviously the area that we're all more worried about. Um, and you know, we should point out just to say it out loud, the Braves lineup went dead last year. We all know this happened. I just want to say it out loud for all the talk about pitching and all the decisions and all the stuff that happened in the 2019 playoffs, the lineup has gone dead the last two postseasons, essentially. Um, and if that happens again, they're dead, which we kind of know, but it's just, let's just speak into existence and hopefully it won't happen again. It happened last year. It happened the year before. And, uh, they can't afford it this time around, especially with what, 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 we're, what we're about to talk about. Okay. Pitching wise, we know Max Fried in game one. That's the lock of all locks. Um, from there though, I assume it's Ian Anderson in game two, uh, game three, uh, Kyle Wright, I think. Um, and then obviously the bullpen, the, and then the locks, the locks in the bullpen are as follows. There are seven that I believe are absolute locks. It's Melanson, it's Smith, it's Green, it's Martin if healthy, it's Minter, it's Matzik, and it's Darren O'Day. Um, that's where I'll stop for now. So I think those guys that I just named, the 10 of them, three starters and the seven relievers are locks. There are obviously more spots up for grabs. Um, Scott, I'll go to you first this time. Do you think anyone needs to be added to the lock list or removed from the lock list? Mm. Um, lock list, no. I don't think Luke, there's Luke, Luke who... Jackson used to be a lock. He's not anymore. Luke. I'll tell you that right now. Goodness gracious, Luke. Hey, Luke Jackson died so AJ Minter can live. It's kind of like my uh, <laughs> well, how we'll look back on the bullpen this year because as good as Luke was last season and as bad as Minter was. I think actually just Minter wasn't healthy last year again. But uh, yeah, I, I think those are truly locks. Those guys uh, assuming health is, is is the group. Eric, thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I have no. I, these will all be locks for me for sure. Uh, the, the the one obviously is Martin with the minor injury, but you know. Yeah. Uh, and I would say I would probably add Jacob Webb to the lock. Yeah, I mean he was a guy I considered, and I think he's going to be on there. Um, and also, I think Josh Tomlin is pretty close to a lock, just because of the way that they're going to approach it. I'm not sure you have to well, use him a lot. Yes, I I would agree with that. But I I, I you know Tomlin's a veteran. He's been there before. They, he's in a role that is better for him as a long reliever. I don't think you're. No one's going to be thrilled to see Josh Tomlin pitch in a playoff game, but because he can go multiple innings, I think he is pretty clearly going to be on the team because they have so many extra spots. But yeah, I mean, if we added Webb, that gets us to what eleven. Tomlin is twelve. You got to get to fourteen at least, maybe fifteen. Um, the other the other contenders are as follows: you have uh, you have Enoa. And Wilson as the two longer relievers. You have Luke Jackson. You have Grant Dayton. Uh, I suppose they could just throw an absolute Hail Mary and go to Fultier Newcomb. I'd be surprised by that, but they could certainly do it. Um, anybody else worth mentioning that I am forgetting? I'm especially asking Eric, who makes who remembers guys that I never remember that are like the fringe young guys, like Just Seal, De La Cruz, maybe. I have no idea. Like anybody have thoughts on anybody else that we can that we should add to the consideration list? No, not really, just because, I mean, you have kind of your lefty options already as locks, so those would be kind of like the weird corner cases. I mean, you think about guys like, you know, like Patrick Weigel or, you know, guys like that, but, like, yeah. the Braves just have, like, uh, Tucker Davidson made his debut this week, so that was exciting, but I don't think that he's going to Didn't go great. Playoff. No, it didn't. First inning was great. Second inning, the defense kind of let him down, and he left some pitches over and didn't really go. But he's not a guy that I think they're going to try to use in a playoff you know, in a playoff role as a reliever when he's never done it before, right? So no. um, if we're at 12 spots right now, 
That sounds about right if we're including Webb. So like that's another you two. Got, you got to get two or three I, more. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I, like I, I think I, I think you knew you know has earned the, like another like a, a longer spot or maybe you know depending if like you how you like what he's been pitching maybe he's like that guy who piggybacks with Wright in game three or something like that. Uh, I guess you have to you have to put Luke Jackson in there, but I would. You don't have to. I'll say this: uh, you, you do not have to. In my, uh, I mean, okay. Here's what here's the way that I would put it. I think you have to you have to have at least one of Eno or Wilson. You might even take both, but you have to have at least one of those guys. I think, and then Eno for sure for me. Yeah, and that's fine. I, I just think you know those guys are similar in their potential roles as like longer relievers. You're not going to start them, but maybe they're piggybacks. Um, Eric Leans, do you do you know what Scott? Do you have a, pref- a preference between Wilson and Enoa for that role? Um, probably Enoa, just because his stuff is a little bit better. But um, honestly, as we're talking about these last few guys, I hope that they're not really counted on at any point, especially in a three-game series. But and you um, should you shouldn't yeah. need them. But I mean, I was gonna yeah. say this, I say this at last, but before I forget to say it, there's a couple of these veterans, uh, Melanson for one, um, that Snicker kind of famously does not want to pitch three days in a row. So just keep that in mind. Um, if, especially if you get a start uh, in game two or game three where a starter just can't give it to you and you got to have a quick hook. You cannot leave Anderson or Wright or whoever out there for too long. And I hope Snicker manages to that. But if you do that, it is three games in a row uh, without, without an off day. And if you have a couple of these pitchers that they don't want to have three days in a row, like O'Day or Melanson who are a little bit older, you know, I'm not saying you get too short in a hurry, but if you have one bad blow-up start, it gets uh, dicey. So that's why you want to have multiple, I think, guys who can, in a pinch, throw multiple innings, whether it be Tomlin or Enoa. I think two of those three between Tomlin, Enoa, and Wilson should be there. I, I agree, it's probably Tomlin and Enoa for me as well. Um, Luke Jackson versus Grant Dayton, or both? Is another thing like again, Ugh. I agree with Scott. I, I agree with Scott's point that none of this is great. And again, you probably hope to never use this guy. If you have 15 pitchers, you shouldn't need to use them all. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> yeah. but that last thing, like I don't know, maybe they, maybe they, they go to Luke Jackson out of loyalty slash um, been there before, but he's not been the same guy this mm. year. Like we we famously defended this, as, him as last one year. Of the last guys. As one of the last guys added to this roster, if Luke Jackson comes in in a one-run playoff game in like the seventh well, that's, inning, that's the problem. I mean, that's honestly the. I mean, the whole elephant in the room like, here always is the fact that Snicker might do something very silly, um, and that's one of those things. Like Luke Jackson, who we defended last year as being underrated because people were really mad at him in a role that he shouldn't have been in as a closer. This year, he's not been good. Like last year, he got unlucky, like pretty obviously if you look at the numbers. This year, he's just been bad. And it's not really up for debate. Um, yeah, and, and the fear with all this stuff, especially with Luke, I agree with you, Eric, is that you know because Luke Jackson is a very familiar piece for Brian Sicker, he might use him in a way that is familiar, that is familiar, which is not what you want in this spot. So maybe maybe Anthopolis will not put him on there to sticker proof the roster. I don't know. I'm actually asking that question out loud, which is funny. <laughs> but if if, if if he is not put on this roster, that is exactly what happened. I kind of agree that with that. Th- yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, this doesn't really take, matter, but yeah. go ahead. Go ahead I would happily take Grant Dayton over Luke Jackson. I mean, Grant Dayton has been pretty good this year. He's been used pretty regularly. Um, just looking at his numbers, he he's thrown 27 innings. He appeared in 18 games. He wasn't a guy who only got into games when it was like complete 
uh, blowout time. Uh, 230 ERA is good. Um, his his underlying numbers are not as good. 407 FIP, 505 XFIP. But um, I, I trust Grant Dayton with a five-run lead in the sixth inning. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not, high but high I, bar to I, clear I, there, Scott. You know what? Thank you. But, and we laugh. But honestly, they bring Luke Jackson in a five-run game. I would absolutely have somebody else warming up the moment no, he comes. You are, you're, you're really right about okay. that. I'm, we're, we're kidding, we're, but and we've you're seen right. It I mean, happen. Yeah, and it's also I mean, it's also the playoffs. I mean, the playoffs are just different. That's something we should stress, and we all understand that. But the playoffs are just they need to be managed differently. You have to take into account leverage. You have to use guys very purposefully. You cannot waste appearances. Like the it's sort of a high wire act, and you know, Luke is just not a guy that anyone is going to trust right now, except for potentially the manager of the Braves. He might he might look at him and say, "Oh, that's Luke Jackson." We trust Luke Jackson, Gosh. and I, I kind of get that, but I, you just can't do it right now. He just he does not have the uh, the look of a man who has been very good at pitching baseballs. Yeah, after today, I think it might have been the nail in the coffin. If it was at least close in the mind of Anthopolis, I think. I mean, Luke was horrible today. Um, yeah, and not that you want to put too much in one set, but he's been bad really for the last month and a half. I mean, beginning of the year he was okay, but lately it's it's like he comes in and there's. Uh, three runs in before he can even you know do the little head shake thing he always does uh it's uh it has not been good for for luke this year yeah okay i mean we, we could probably stop there uh, you know the only the only surprises would be uh if they went to full tier nukem but i just i can't see that happening they just bury those guys too much I, I wish they had actually groomed nukem for a reliever role or at least tried it that's the only thing that i would say is a regret for me we've talked about full t ad nauseum but i really think they should have at least tried Nukem as a reliever in the last two weeks. I, I would have done that. He Nukem has been a good reliever in the past and not that long ago. Like he was a good reliever last season. Mm-hmm. I would have at least tried to get him ready to do that. And if it failed, it failed. And maybe, maybe they're just seeing something that, that they don't trust. And obviously we're all flying blind with the alternate site. So that, that caveat has to be applied, but I wish they had done that at some point, but they didn't. Yeah. So yeah. Alas. And I think those guys pitch for the brave all ever. No, I, I tend to agree. They're probably they're probably gone. Um, okay, last thing on this front, you know, we, Eric mentioned this earlier, but the lineup for the Reds is not good. It's been basically below average, even by National League standards this year for the for the full season. Um, is there anybody in the lineup that scares you for the Reds? I mean, we talked about like just sort of broad strokes, um, the famous names that people will know, like you know, Joey Votto is the number one player that people are going to recognize, but they don't really have a whole lot of guys that like terrify you. Mike Moustakas has been good in the recent past. Um, you, you know, Eugenio Suarez is a talented guy with some power. They have some power, but it's the guys, the depth is not great. And Joey Votto is not Joey Votto anymore necessarily. He was better late in the year this year, but anybody actually scare you in this lineup at all? Um, for me, no. I mean, again, I think, um, this year is so weird, but I mean, you look around, you, you look at the last month, uh, Mike Moustakas, I mean, they have a lot of name recognition, right? Mike Moustakas, Joey Votto, of course, is one of the game's best hitters. Um, you know, Nick Castellanos was hot early and has really been bad lately. Um, Jesse Winker is probably their best hitter, or at least was for most of the year, though he had a brutal month of September. Yeah, Only he tailed off a lot. 087, I'm looking at here, 087 in the month of September. That is uh, bad in all capital letters. So, um Again, I think there's more name recognition here than actual guys who scare you. Maybe two or three years ago, they scare you more. Um, I say this, and I prepare for the Reds to score like 50 runs over the next three games. But um, 
<laughs> as we've kind yeah. of said, the, the Bra- as much of the Braves' rotation scares you, or the Reds' rotation, rather, scares you, I think this Reds lineup is just not that good. They do have a bunch of guys that can slug 500. Like, they have a lot of that archetype players. Not Votto, but the other guys who are prominent, Moustakis, Castellanos, um, Suarez. These guys are power guys who are not great at everything else, but if they start running into stuff, you're in some trouble. So there is a little bit of fear with that, like, that they get hot at the right at the right time. Like, Castellanos, you mentioned, but early in the year was, like, scorching hot. Um, and has been a guy who's been a really good hitter, hitter in the past, who was linked to the Braves, remember, last winter before they signed uh, Ozuna. Anyway, I mean... They have some talent. This is not like it's a throwaway team. There's a reason. The biggest reason why the Reds scared all of us was the pitching, but they do, they do have some talent in the lineup. This year, it's not been very good, but this year is a small sample size by nature. Um, they have more talent in their lineup than some of the other teams that the Braves could have been playing, so it wasn't just the pitching that scared me, but I, I do tend to agree that it's not like anybody is like individually terrifying. It's just uh, you know with the Braves' pitching situation right now, if you run into a Reds team that gets hot all of a sudden, uh, you know, could be a little bit of trouble. Yeah, the thing that kind of it's a double edged sword of me in being terms of being scared. On the one hand, like I think that a lot of the number the power numbers that these guys do have put up have been at home because an eighty one WRC yeah. plus on the road tells me a lot about kind of what they've been doing at home uh, to to get anything done. Um, and but the thing that's scary just from like the like baseball gods just wanting to smite me is that they don't have a single pl- like there there is one player in their top 9 for like Fangraphs war on the season that has a bad bip over 300 like and they have like guys like 219 20 like Eugenio Eugenio Suarez is a very good hitter and has a bad bip of 202 this year and that's some exactly of that is the probably kind of the Duval like so that's probably the Adam Duvall like low bat because they because they just hit home runs like Adam, like Adam Duvall's bat is like incredibly low this year because all, all he does is hit home runs. But I agree with you like there's some there's some luck in there too, which is not what you want. Yeah, and I, I, you worry about the regression monster. I mean, it it it, it giveth and it taketh away, and I really don't want that to be happening in the series. Uh, there are certainly some things about their batted ball profiles that make you think that you're probably right in terms of you know some of that being of their own devices, especially at home. When yeah. they're they're ball they're they're trying to hit the ball in the air in the hopes that it'll kind of get over those shower fields and that's not necessarily going to work at truest but at the same time like you know I'm not sure how excited I am to having a pitch against Joey Votto in a post postseason postseason as bad as he's been this year yeah. so yeah you, know, you there, should there's be. definitely talent here <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's, Joey Votto Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer so there you go yeah. <laughs> yep like yeah looking at their splits um. They were better against righties than lefties, and the Braves do have some balance. Of course, Freed is lefty, and, and Anderson and Wright presumably are, are starting games two and three. Um, but against lefties, they only had a team WRC plus of 81, which is pretty bad. Uh, that's That was 24th in the majors um, ahead of some pretty bad lineups. Uh, they're a little bit better against righties with a, a team WRC plus of 90. Um, but again, if, if the Braves are going <laughs> to lose this series, it's because... Castillo, Bauer, and Gray are going to just shove for, you know, combined 21 innings or whatever it's going to be. That's the Reds' path here, I think. Not If the Braves get outscored, if they if the Braves lose three slugfests this week, or at least two out of three, I would be pretty surprised. I, I agree with that. Um, I would just say the Reds do have the capability of exploding offensively. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but this is not a lineup that's like void of talent or power. 
So yeah. that's the only, that's yeah, my sure. only word of caution. I think we all agree on that. I just worth saying out loud that it's not like a slapstick lineup that's like you know incapable of beating <laughs> up on you. And was, there's a lot of power in this lineup that the Braves are going to be seeing. Yeah. In the next a lot few of days. name, yeah, a lot of name recognition lot, to be sure. A lot of names, a lot of power guys who are like you know maybe your three true outcome kind of players. Um, oh, I guess last thing we've all said it, but are we in agreement that it should be Freed Anderson Wright in that order? And then with Wright on the shortest possible leash. I mean, frankly, yeah. Anderson and Wright on the, Anderson and Wright on the shortest possible leash. But just is that is that where we all are? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Okay, I mean, in general, the bar for a guy staying in to a game, especially non Max Freed, the guy stay the guy the bar for a guy staying in the game should be exceedingly high. There should be short leashes on even Anderson's been good, but the leash should be short on him too. Wright should be short. That's why you have multiple guys who can go multiple innings. That's all, that's why it, it, it's just playoff baseball. You have to manage like it's playoff baseball. I mean, if the world ends and Max Freed struggles, you probably can't you can't leave him out there either. It's not like you know. Obviously, he has a longer leash than everybody else does because he's so good. But you have to manage differently. It's a playoff series. People are always surprised when you know people like us are calling out for a pitcher to be removed in like the third inning. But like it's just what happens. You have to have guys very close to the best, especially on this team when you don't have a lot of trust in your starting pitching, you uh, you know, Freed, you're hoping, got, hoping beyond hope that Freed can go six, six, seven innings in game one. But other than that, man, uh, could be a lot of early bullpens. And that's not even a shot at Anderson Wright. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just saying if they show any sort of wobble, you got to get him out of there, basically. Yeah, uh, again, yeah. It, in a normal playoff series, I think that's the case. And when it's truly three games to decide if you're advancing or not, it's it's even more so. I would I would almost have a a reliever ready to go at a moment's notice the entire game. I know that's not feasible just because you don't want someone throwing in the bullpen that long. But as you said, even the, the slightest, <laughs> yeah, the slightest bit of, of drama after the first maybe two innings or three innings, I think you have to have everybody ready to go. Uh, and, and use, I mean, again, I, you want to use your good relievers in, in a series like this. If, if the situation calls for it, use Shane green in the fifth inning, who knows Strong what kind of situations, agree are going to be there. But I mean, honestly, it's, it's, you have 18 bad innings and the season is over. And I know it was a short year and everyone's going to look back on this as kind of a weird one, but do not let your don't die early in a series because you saved Shane green for a situation that never happened. I totally agree. Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, it's <laughs> go ahead. Eric. Well, I was about to say, I, the, 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 the biggest worry I have in this series truly is how it's going to be managed tactically. Uh, I, I think that, like, emotionally and kind of, like, the pregame stuff, that Snitger is going to really have these guys, like, in the right mindset and ready to go. But I worry about the moment-to-moment decision-making in a very short series. Because even if it's, like, you know, a, a best-of-five or a best-of-seven, you can make a, a mistake here and there. But if you make, like, a mistake in a three-game series against a pitching a rotation that's just not going to give you much unless you're playing really well like you, you bring in the wrong reliever or you just go hey maybe I can get another inning out of this guy I mean we've seen this in the regular season just this year it's like they left a guy in one inning too long and the Braves had to come back and score six runs as a result to win those games now this Braves team is weird and they have come back and won a lot of those games that they've had no business coming back and winning but how many times have we said, why is this guy still in? Why is this guy still out there? 
you know, why aren't we bringing this guy in? Why aren't, you know, like those, that moment to moment decision-making and playing those matchups by the numbers and not by feel is something that I think is going to be really important. And I worry a little bit about that with this series. I still think the Braves should be significantly favored. Uh, I will say I'm thrilled that the Braves aren't going against the Dodgers or the Cardinals. Uh, I feel like a lot of the bad juju kind of feels like it's not involved uh, in terms of the series. But, you know, in terms of that moment to moment decision making, it's a little concerning, um, even if I think that there's some definitely some positives to what Snip brings to the table. Scott, do you have any thoughts on that uh, before I go on my rant that I'm struggling? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that pretty much covers it for me. Manage every game like it's game seven of the World Series. Um, I know you can't always do that in a traditional five or seven game series, but in a three game series, uh, go all out. Don't don't hold anything back. Do whatever you have to. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kidding about my rant. Um, I think we all know where we all stand on this. I I definitely have fear about uh, the manager in this situation. Uh, he's not covered himself in glory in these situations in the past. I I think slash hope that it's been uh, put in his head that he, he needs to sort of manage a little bit more aggressively in this spot. Um, you know, it's not like he can't uh, get better. That's allowed. And you know, we'll see how they handle that. I agree with what Eric said. You know, the, the Braves are the better team in this spot. Um, the Braves were the better team last year in the Cardinal series. We all agree on that. I still think that now, and they lost. So it's baseball. Yep. I will just I, I will say this out loud right now. I'm looking at the 538 projections right now. I looked at a couple other things. Um, every every system, every betting market is going to have the Braves favored in the series, and they should. The Braves are better than the, the Braves are better than the Reds. Now, it's a three game baseball series. Even even the Dodgers. So this is this 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 is not a painted picture for everybody right now. The Dodgers, who are, by any description, an uber-elite baseball team, in any year, they're ridiculous, they were so good in every way, their roster's loaded, even the Dodgers, on 538 right now, only have a 77% chance of winning their first-round series. Now, that's a, that's a lot, but yeah. the Dodgers, against the 8th best team in the National League, should be favored by a lot more than that, but it's a three-game baseball series. Yeah. Anything can happen in a three-game baseball series. So mm-hmm. there, there's some cover in that for the Braves, unfortunately, because as we've all litigated forever, it's been 19 years since they won a playoff series. It's a three-game series. I just want everybody to realize that going in, that we all think the Braves are better than the Reds. And I'm going to pick the Braves. I think we all are. It's still a three-game baseball series, and even the best team in the league, the Dodgers, by a lot, is only a 3-4 and four favorite against the eighth best team in the National League. And like, you know, they're playing the Brewers. The Brewers are terrible. Like, the Brewers were not good at baseball this year. The Brewers were below 500. The Brewers are not good at all. And they still have a quarter of the of the 100% chance at being the best team maybe ever assembled. Not not, not really, but, like, literally that kind of tier team, the Dodgers. So I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure I have a point here. I just want to put that out there and make sure we say it out loud that, you know, even if the, if the right buttons are pressed, baseball is a very random sport, and there's a reason why series need to be longer than three games and it's because there's a lot of randomness in a three-game baseball series yep absolutely you're right i mean you hope that after watching the cardinals hit like 14 line drive doubles like right down the first and third base foul lines last uh, year are due for some good luck but you're right i mean we all saw it. the difference of, of two inches to the left or two inches to the right can be the difference between advancing and going on a run or i mean this season being over on thursday night effectively is is what it comes down to so hopefully 
the Braves are due for some fortunate luck and a couple good bounces and are able to get through this. Scott, Scott, uh, give me your give me your prediction. Uh, three game series. There are only couple, only a couple options here, but uh, prediction <laughs> winner and games right now. Scott, on the record, I will say, um, boy, I'm going to say Braves in two. Uh, I think Freddie it's, Freeman. It's so weird to hear Braves in two. <laughs> Braves in two. Let's lock it in. Oh. I'm, I'm going in. I know everyone always gives me crap for being pessimistic, and you can understand why. But I think I think this Braves lineup is legit. Um, just digging into the Reds a little bit, they have a couple of very good starting pitchers, but I do think they faced about as bad of competition as a team could realistically face in something like this. Um, I think the Braves are healthy, at at least as healthy as you can be this time of year. Um, So I'm going to say Braves in two, and Freddie Freeman just goes berserk in the very long two games that he plays. Eric, predictions? I will also take the Braves in two. Uh, a lot of the reasons that Scott mentioned apply to me. I think that the lineup that the Braves are fielding is significantly better than what the Reds are going to be trotting out. I think that this team is kind of built to, how do I put it? We, we've already seen a, Bra- a Braves team like piss Tra- Trevor Bauer off in the sense that like they kept fouling off pitches and they got him out in the fifth inning and he kind of complained and was tilted about it. And I don't think there's necessarily he can do much he can do about it. This is a team that's pretty good about drawing walks and at least getting guys' pitch counts up. Um, and as a result, I don't think that these guys are going to be able to go deep enough in the games to stop the Braves' offense. Uh, and with a middling, like kind of a, a me- medium to meh uh, relief core outside of Iglesias, I, I like what the Braves can do. And part of my my prediction of the Braves in two is more aspirational because if there's a game three with everything on the line and we're relying on Kyle Wright and a, a Kyle Wright, Josh Tomlin piggybacking situation to carry us <laughs> to, 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 to carry us out of a 20 year oh. playoff series drought, like my heart won't be able to take it. And I still like Kyle Wright and I really do like Josh Tomlin, but I couldn't, it wouldn't be good for any of us if that's what we were relying on to get us through to our first pro season series. So yeah. I'm just like, let's just get it done in two, give everyone a break, and then we'll go on from there. Yeah, I might I might just pop a couple Ambien right before game three, if that's what happens. Just take a little nap oh and God. see what happens three hours later, because that would be sweet. Um, yeah. So so Brad, what's your uh, what's your prediction? By the way, just good good sweet God about that game three scenario. Oh, Eric. Um Okay, so you guys were optimistic and I uh I think again, as I said before, I, we all think the Braves are better. We're all picking the Braves. I, I think I, I'm going to go with the math play, and the math play is very clearly Braves in three, because you know, for instance, I've seen two projections now by the by the systems, and they're both like sixty percent for the Braves ish in the series, which honestly seems right. Again, three game playoff series, the better team should win, but not that much, not that often. So with that in mind, I, I think. The, my brain has to say Braves in three. Uh, I am closer to Braves in two than I am to picking the Reds, if that makes sense. So, sure. Braves in like 2.6 is the, actually the prediction, but I will say Braves in three. Uh, and hopefully that, and uh, hopefully a week from now, or not less than a week from now, we can we can have a discussion about whether this actually counts in terms of breaking the the playoff series drought because it's it's a three game. I, I see I seen that discussion recently. It's like oh, is this even going to count? They win it. It's like you know what? It's going to count. For us, yeah, um, yeah. I, I just but, don't um, hear it anymore. So yeah, I, I'm I'm exactly with you. I, I I do not want to reference the 2001 ever again on this podcast after this week. Uh, 
you know, as of as of now, we're recording this Sunday night, and I will have told you at the beginning of the podcast that we've delayed this, but uh, we don't know the start times. But obviously, the games are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There's no breaks. We we, we are planning to be here uh, post game each night with a podcast. So hopefully, no 17 inning marathons for our sake. Um, but yeah, that's that's our coverage plan. You've heard all of our predictions now, gentlemen. Thank you very much for being here. And uh, yeah, I mean, check out the site. If anybody has any final thoughts, please share them or anything to plug. I know I am not writing, or at least I haven't written in a while, but uh, Eric Scott, have you written anything that you want to plug or anything from the site? I know Eric, deputy editor man, anything to plug over there? Uh, there's going to be a lot There's going to be a lot of preview content coming out over the last couple days uh, between the lineup, the pitchers, the, the bullpen. There's a lot of kind of stuff that Chris has in the offering and I kind of already gotten farmed out to get covered. Uh, obviously keep up with the site in terms of like breaking news. Whenever we find out what's going on with all these guys who are dinged up, you know, that, <laughs> one thing I know about Chris Willis is that in terms of breaking news, it will be on the site in 30 minutes, whether that means he needs to, you know, get written up at his day job to make sure he gets posted or get someone yep. to cover it. So if you're wanting the most up to date information and write ups on it, you go to talkingchop.com and Ooh. you know, it's one of nine different people that'll jump in and grab that stuff too. You know, I I do want to kind of say just in general, this has been a very weird season and the Talking Chop staff has really stepped up and like made this feel more normal than it had any right to be um, getting things covered. You know, we didn't have a minor league season. You know, there's a lot of weirdness with the season itself in terms of what was going on. And I honestly think that the staff did a great job and I'm really happy about all with all you guys. It was it was a really weird year, but, you know, it, it definitely was comforting to kind of have be back in the swing of things with all you guys for sure yeah and if uh we can get a little breaking news in here very exciting Uh-oh. uh braves reds game one get ready for it is at noon eastern time on God Wednesday, in heaven which is 9 a.m for your favorite west coast correspondent 9 a.m playoff <laughs> baseball i am going to throw a remote control in the middle of the workday. um but yes, so noon Eastern is game one. Oh game two on Thursday is TBD. The good news is, even if it goes 17 innings, Brad, we can still record a podcast at normal hours. Um, oh, my, <laughs> my head, my my head hurts like a lot at that thought yeah. of like I have to I have to like take the afternoon. I don't even know how I'm going to do that. Okay, we're going to have to plan for all of that. But yes, that's uh, the only upside of that is that it's easier to record. So I can guarantee you. By the time you go to bed on Wednesday night, we'll have a podcast up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when or how or who, uh, other than me, I'll be there, and probably one of you will be there with me or both of you. I don't know how we're going to do that. But, yeah, thank you, gentlemen, again, for all of your work on this podcast, especially. Uh, I'm the nominal host, but you guys are always here with me, so thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, everybody that listens to the podcast. Shouts to Chris for employing us all. And, uh, yeah, please subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be here. Thank you for uh, taking the ride with us so much. Uh, and yeah, stay tuned. Our next podcast will be mercifully uh, could be could be Wednesday afternoon. I have <laughs> I have no idea when the next podcast is going to be. Scott and Eric, thank you. And we'll uh, we'll <laughs> great a great a great note to end on. Go Braves! Braves in two or Braves in three is the big question on this podcast at the end of it. But stay tuned. We'll see you on Wednesday.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 